It's Thursday, January 9th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. The U.S. and Iran drama may have dialed back for now, but some members of Congress say they're taking preventative measures to try to rein in the Trump administration anyway. Meanwhile, President Trump is targeting a decades-old law that could have a major impact on the environment. And finally, a way to make the most of your day job. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about who has the power to send the U.S. to war. This is coming up after last week's U.S. drone strike on Iranian General Qasem Soleimani in Iraq. Some members of Congress are worried that attack could put the U.S. and Iran on the path to war. And today, the House of Reps voted to tell President Trump, you're not doing that without our approval. Here's Democratic Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas. This body must adhere this Congress to its duty to be able to ensure that the president of the United States does not unilaterally take us into war with Iran. So today we're going to get into who in the U.S. government really gets to decide when the U.S. goes to war and whether the latest crisis with Iran could change that. Let's start by whipping out our pocket constitutions and heading to, ah, yes, Article 1, Section 8. It's pretty clear. The Congress shall have power to declare war. There you go. Pretty straightforward, right? Turns out it's Congress, not the president, who decides if and when the U.S. goes to war. But that's not always how things actually go down. Take the war in Vietnam. In 1964, Congress passed a resolution giving President Lyndon B. Johnson broad powers to combat communism and maintain peace and security in Southeast Asia. Johnson took that to be the same as a declaration of war from Congress and sent troops to fight in Vietnam. By 1973, around 58,000 American troops had died in Vietnam. And Congress finally said, enough's enough. It passed a law known as the War Powers Act. It's a law being talked about a lot this week. The War Powers Act has two main points. The first one is that the president has to notify Congress when the U.S. military is used in, quote, hostilities. It's like a polite little heads up. The second point involves a ticking clock. After fighting gets underway, the president has just 60 days to get Congress's approval to continue fighting. In theory, the War Powers Act was a big deal. Evidence of Congress taking back the war powers it was given in the Constitution. But it turns out most presidents only ended up complying with the first part of the War Powers Act, the part about notifying Congress. According to one report, Presidents have done that more than 160 times since the War Powers Act went into effect. The White House sent its notification last Saturday, after the drone strike on the Iranian general. As for Part 2 of the War Powers Act, about only fighting for 60 days before Congress can call things off, that's a whole different story. Case in point, we've seen presidents argue again and again that they don't need congressional approval for military action. In the 90s, President Clinton's administration said that the U.S. could attack Kosovo for more than 60 days because Congress itself had put aside money for the operation, even though the War Powers Act says Congress funding a war isn't the same as authorizing one. And when U.S. troops started attacking Libya in 2011, President Obama's administration argued that since the U.S. was just supporting the battle and since U.S. drones were flying above Libya, not technically on the ground, he didn't need Congress's approval either. In both of these cases, and more, 
Congress kinda just let it slide. Chris Edelson is a fellow at the Center for Congressional and Presidential Studies at American University. Congress has all the tools available to it under the Constitution and under statutes to take a primary role when it comes to making decisions on war and peace. Congress has ceded that territory to the president. But it doesn't have to be that way. In 2013, President Obama wanted to attack Syria as punishment for Syria's government using chemical weapons. But more than 100 members of Congress sent Obama a letter saying, we never said you could do that. Obama responded, alrighty then, let me formally ask you for permission. But that fizzled out. The White House couldn't sell Congress on the idea and the attacks never happened. A sign that if Congress wants to act, it can. Now, after a week of escalating drama with Iran, Congress is, once again, opening its toolbox to try to rein in the president's use of military force. As we said earlier, President Trump technically did notify Congress about last week's drone strike after it happened. But many lawmakers, including Republicans, weren't too happy with the delayed notice. So White House officials went back to Congress yesterday to present a more detailed case in favor of the strike. But even that left some White House allies upset. Here was Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah after that briefing. They had to leave after 75 minutes while they were in the, in the process of telling us that we need to be good little boys and girls and run along and, and not debate this in public. I, I, I find that absolutely insane. Senator Lee claims that White House officials told lawmakers that if they debated the War Powers Act, it would actually embolden Iran. Today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi argued that just because Iran is seen as a threat to the U.S. doesn't mean Congress shouldn't debate how and when to use military force. We have no illusions about Iran, no illusions about Soleimani. He was a terrible person, did bad things. But it's not about how bad they are. It's about how good we are. Turns out those frustrations in Congress run pretty deep. That brings us to today. The House of Representatives is voting on a bill that says Trump must get approval from Congress before launching more attacks against Iran. If it passes the House, the Republican-controlled Senate would then need to pass it as well. And like we said, there is some Republican support. But even if it passes the Senate, it's still not clear that it would legally bind the president from moving forward. Again, this is kinda unprecedented territory. But either way, today's vote was a sign that unless the White House does a better job defending its military moves, Congress isn't gonna turn a blind eye. So what's the skim? Both the U.S. Constitution and the 1973 War Powers Act make it clear that Congress, not the president, decides whether the U.S. goes to war. And after decades of kind of letting that power go unused, Congress is now trying to tell President Trump, if you want to fight Iran, you're going to need to get a permission slip from us first. TBD on whether the resolution passes both the House and Senate and how the president might react. Restoring nature to its natural state is a cause beyond party and beyond factions. That's President Richard Nixon 50 years ago in a State of the Union speech to Congress. In the future, government decisions as to where to build highways, locate airports, acquire land or sell land should be made with the clear objective of aiding a balanced growth for America. Less than a month earlier, he had signed the National Environmental Policy Act. 
It was one of the first U.S. laws to lay out a nationwide framework for protecting the environment. Today, President Trump announced he's rolling back some of those protections. From day one, my administration has made fixing this regulatory nightmare a top priority. So what is the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA? NEPA requires federal agencies to look into the environmental effects of infrastructure projects, like a new highway, factory, or pipeline, before it can be approved. To be clear, that doesn't mean that the project can't go forward if deemed environmentally unfriendly. The agencies may just have to do a lot of paperwork and be transparent with the public about its potential impact. Environmental groups have used the law in court to slow down or even block a ton of projects. You might remember a lot of huge protests around the construction of the Keystone XL and Dakota Access pipelines a few years ago. In 2018, a federal judge cited this law when it stopped the construction of the Keystone Pipeline. So, no surprise, the law is a thorn in the side of some big industries. Think oil and gas and construction companies. The environmental impact statements the agencies have to write can be hundreds of pages long and can take years to complete. Therefore, lots of building delays. And companies have been complaining to the White House about these delays and restrictions. So now the White House is saying, we want to speed this up. Trump can't scrap the law entirely, but he can change the way it's implemented. Now, government agencies will have a two-year deadline to complete environmental reviews. Not only that, the companies themselves will be able to write their own impact statements, under agency supervision, at least. Those reviews will be much more narrowly focused, only analyzing the project's direct environmental impact like the effects of building an oil pipeline instead of looking at all the resulting environmental impacts of things like extracting and transporting the oil. Which means it'll likely be easier and faster for companies to get the go-ahead to build new pipelines, mines, and other projects, even those that could hurt the environment. The changes President Trump wants to make aren't set to take effect until later this year. But first, they're almost guaranteed to face a challenge in court. For more on how other countries around the world are setting environmental policies, head on over to theskim.com slash guides. It's Skim Money Thursday, and this week we're looking at how to get the most out of your job. Last year, the Bureau of Labor Statistics found that workers quit their jobs at a record-breaking pace. And a major reason why workers are quitting is because they can make more money at the next job. We know, it can be hard to ask for more money. But you should know that, according to a 2018 survey by the website Payscale, about 70% of people who ask for a raise get at least a little something extra. So how can you make the most of the negotiation? Before you talk to your manager, do your research. Find out what other people with your experience in your position are making. Then, make a list of your accomplishments to show why you deserve more. When it's time to make the big ask, be relaxed and polite while keeping confident in your request. And even if you don't get the amount you want, you can still get a big bang for your buck by taking full advantage of any health, commuting, or retirement benefits your company offers. For more on money moves to make at work, check out theskim.com money. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from a four-time cancer survivor. 
That's right, we're talking about Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. After doctors discovered a tumor on her pancreas this summer, Ginsburg underwent treatment. And now she says she's cancer-free. Ginsburg explained to NPR last summer why it's important for her to talk publicly about her battles with cancer. That because I'm a public figure, I could help make things a little better for people who are in my situation with regard to their health by saying what I was experiencing. Ginsburg's good news is in good company. The most recent data from the American Cancer Society out yesterday shows that between 2016 and 2017, the rate of cancer deaths in the U.S. dropped by over 2%. That's the largest drop in the U.S. on record. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. Listener.